Welcome to the Bethesda Church Podcast. We're so glad you've joined us today. If you'd like to contribute financially to this ministry, you can do so at BethesdaChurch.tv slash give and simply select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. Come on, Bethesda. Let's give it up for everybody who makes this country so great and for the freedom that we have. Well, good morning to everybody. I am Pastor Jeremiah. I'm the student pastor here, and I have the honor of speaking to all three worship experiences today. It's my first time doing all three, so you all pray for me. Um, But I'm really excited about what God's given me, and I just want to say thank you to Pastors Chad and Karen for allowing me to to have this humbling opportunity. But um, I'm going to preach on something that God has laid on my heart for many years now, and it's been building up. And I just want to give you a heads up. Uh, 8.30, I preached a little bit, and 10 o'clock, I'm expecting y'all to give me a little bit back because I'm going to preach today, and I got a word, um, so I'm excited about this, but I'm going to be speaking on something called It's the Small Things. Everybody say it's the small things. So this principle comes from Zechariah 4.10, which says, do not despise small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. And I believe that in today's society and culture, we always focus on the big picture things that, you know, we never take time to look at the middle ground and how we got from beginning to finish. And in that process, in that process, we um, overlook the things that God does in those seasons. So it all begins, you know, to become great, you have to be good. And it takes all these stepping stones. Um, but here's a little bit about me for those who don't know me. Uh, I'm the youngest of four, and I believe I'm the best looking one too. Um, and I have my family sitting right over there, and I'm getting a dirty look from all of them. Uh, but, but being the youngest came with, uh, you know, some awesome things, but it also came with some challenges. And anybody that's the youngest will know exactly what I'm talking about. You know, always getting asked to run an errand. Always getting asked to do something always getting tricked into doing something because you thought it was cool. And then when mom and dad were scolding me, they were like, uh, it's not really that cool. Y'all are shaking your head, but y'all did it. I know y'all did it. My butt still hurts from them whippings. Like, y'all got me. So um, how many of you guys know exactly what I'm talking about, being the youngest? If if you're not raising your hand, you're the one that tricked everybody, and we're going to see you down here at the altar. 15 minutes. But I've been a part of this church for 11 years, you know, been under Pastor Chad's leadership, and, um, you know, I was a student under Bishop Kevin Dingus, and then Pastor Josh took over, and, you know, I became a student leader as I got older, and I began to intern every year, and I'll never forget sitting down with Pastor Chad and Pastor Jeremy, and, um, you know, I told him, I said, guys, you know, I was 12 years old when I got the call to preach. I remember being at Winterfest in the Thompson Bowling Arena, and, uh, and God spoke to me and said, you're going to do this for the rest of your life. And they told me, they said, Jeremiah, we can't pay you with money, but if this truly is what you want to do, we'll pay you with experience. And man, were they dead on with that. Um, So I'm so thankful for that. But, you know, here I am now, 11 years later, from the little kid that went running around this church when it was 60 people to now the student pastor of this church. And, you know, it's just such a humbling, humbling thing to, to see God do this. But my mother always instilled something upon me at a young age. She would always say, Jeremiah, do not despise small beginnings. And I never understood this until a few years back. But today we're going to be looking at a guy in the Bible who had a small beginning. That's David. Everybody say David. David's one of my favorite Bible characters other than Jesus, of course. But um, he's one of my favorites to study. And I feel like him and I have a lot in in common. Um, 
and his story starts in 1 Samuel chapter 16 when the prophet Samuel was instructed by God to go to Israel to, or excuse me, to go to Bethlehem to anoint the next king of Israel. And Saul was anointed as the king at that time by the people. And, you know, they wanted a king because everybody else had one. And let me go ahead and start this off real nice. Just because somebody else got something doesn't mean you should get it either. Y'all gave me a little bit more in 830. It's all right. We'll warm up. It's okay. We'll work with it. So Saul started falling away. And God said, you know what? We're moving on to the next thing because this isn't going to work. So Samuel goes to the house of Jesse, Jesse being David's father, and he's going to anoint the next king of Israel. As Samuel gets there, something really profound happened because he sees Eliab, and the Bible says at the moment he saw him, he thought that Eliab, who was the oldest brother and son, um, was the next king. But God speaks to Samuel in verse 7 of chapter 16. He says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Don't judge by his appearance or height, for I've rejected him. The Lord doesn't see the things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And that's for someone today. You've been overlooked because you haven't looked like the part, but they haven't seen your heart. That's the biggest problem with the American church today. I told my students on Tuesday, I said, you all want to see me get really aggravated. I said, let me catch you see talking about somebody that comes in and say, why are they here? It's a quiet church in here. We shouldn't judge by outward appearance. You don't know what people we're dealing with. Even if they've come to this church for 15 years, you have no idea. People had no idea I was struggling with self-doubt, and I didn't know who I was. But I came in here every Sunday and greeted and said, hi, welcome to Bethesda. Good to see you. Glad you're here. Appreciate you. And then I went back there helping the kids in the nursery, and the same kids that helped in the nursery are now I'm pastoring because they're in middle school. They never saw that. But God saw my heart, and God said, in the midst of all you're going through, I'm going to help you. So Samuel looks at the next son, which was Abinadab. He wasn't the next king. And then looks at Shema. He wasn't the next king either. And this happens another four times. Now, a little bit of background on the prophet Samuel. Um, during this time, um, Samuel was kind of the go-to guy. Israel was trying to figure everything out. They were just now trying to, you know, understand their boundaries, their foundation. They just got out of captivity. And, like, everything was still kind of fresh and new. So at this time, Samuel was the main guy to figure everything out. Now, if I'm Samuel in this moment... And if people come to me and God gives me a word and I speak and it happens, I'd be a little embarrassed at this point. Everybody's kind of looking at me. There's seven sons in the house, including the father. So there's eight people in the house. And they're like, you're not the king. You're not the king. You're not the king. You're not the king. And at this time, I'd be like, well, I guess I'm just going to mosey on down the road because clearly I'm not here. Do you have a brother named Jesse too? Because this is not the right house. So y'all laugh a little bit. We're going to have fun today. So at this point, I'd, I'd be a little bit embarrassed but here we are, seven sons down, no king. 1 Samuel 16.10 tells us, in the same way all seven of Jesse's sons were presented to Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of these. Then Samuel asked, are these all the sons you have? Jesse replied, they're still the youngest, but he's out in the field watching sheep and goats. Send for him at once, Samuel said. We will not sit down until he arrives. Now, every time I read this, I always read it as if Jesse's kind of like, there's the youngest. Not really anything special about him. He just sits in the field all day, being a farmer, hangs out with a club, plays his music. He's a little different, but he's just the young. There's not really anything special about him. He wasn't considered one of the boys because if you were in the house, you were one of the boys. And that even goes back to being into old Jewish custom. If you were in that synagogue, if you were in that temple, if you were in the house, 
you were part of the crew, but David wasn't. He was out in the dirtiest part in the field. But what Jesse and the brother saw as insignificant was actually the foundation for David's success. And it was a fact he was willing. He said, I'm not worried about going in the house. He said, I got fields to tend to, and I got sheep to watch over. See, because it's not in the public view that God develops leaders. It's on the backside of a mountain. That's a word right there. See, because here's the problem. Everybody wants the platform, but they don't want the process. Woo, I need an organ. So here's that. And here's why I say that. Because everybody wants to be up here, but nobody saw the seven years it took to get here. Nobody saw me in my room crying, saying, God, why can't I do this? And God said, wait. And I was like, I'm tired of waiting. And God said, if you would just be patient, you will see something you would never even dream of. In these moments right now, I'm able to share this, my experience. And this is more a testimony and a biblical reference for it because God has just laid this on my heart. Because you guys see the public now, you guys see Pastor Jeremiah, but you didn't see 12-year-old Jeremiah struggling to figure out who he was, who was bullied in school, who was told he wasn't good enough, who he wasn't worthy enough, he was a mistake. I never once thought about taking my own life, but there was days I thought, God, why did you put me here? And that's almost just as bad as having those thoughts. So God was developing David the whole time while he's being a shepherd. God elevates in private, not pu- God elevates in public, but he processes in private. So Samuel requests that David come immediately, and nothing will happen until he arrives. So verse 12 tells us, so Jesse sent for him. He was dark and handsome, come on somebody, with beautiful eyes. And the Lord said, this is the one, anoint him. So as David stood there amongst his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had brought and anointed David with the oil. And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on, and then Samuel turned to Ramah. Now how awesome would that be to be David? Your biggest haters and doubters, you just got a whole thing of oil dumped on your head. And, And I know that seems weird in today's society, but in that culture that meant you were the man. Like, you were next man up. You got something special. And I imagine, especially Eliab, because he's double portion boy, according to the Jewish custom. Like, whatever his father had, he's supposed to get double. And I'd be mad because Eliab's sitting there and he's like, well, I'm supposed to get it. I don't know why you're choosing him. And then all of a sudden, he gets the whole horn of oil. And I imagine Eliab's like, well, God, you told me I get a double portion, but this joker gets the whole nation? How does this work? Just because he's young and handsome doesn't mean he's got it. So... I love it, though, because David was the eighth son of Jesse. Everybody say eight. What the world looks at at last, God sees as a new beginning. That's what the number eight means, is new beginning. And I was preparing for this. I felt led to say this. Um, Here's a little pastoral note. If you're reading the Bible, which you should, um, and you come over a verse that has a specific number in it, stop. Read what the number means. Meditate on it because it's there for a reason. And here's why I say this. There were seven sons in the house, okay? Seven in the Bible represents completion, perfection. If you were walking into a house and there was perfection and completion, you would imagine something would be there, right? In theory. But sometimes God doesn't want the perfect and complete. He wants something brand new. Because like I said, the Bible number, uh, the, in the Bible, the number eight means new beginning. So God took something that would have been right, and God said, you know what? I'm gonna shake this thing up because that ain't working. And he brought in a kid, 15 years old, Come on, somebody, 15 years old, and he's anointed as the next king of Israel. That's powerful. God, see, and that's a, that's a word right there for somebody. Just because it looks good doesn't mean it is. Woo, I'm going to say it over here. This side's been rough all morning long. I'm going to come over here. Just because it looks good doesn't mean it really is. 
Sometimes what looks complete and perfect is actually something hidden because Saul was self-loathing. I would much rather be with something God wants me to do brand new than be hooked up with something that was so self-loathing. I couldn't even get anything from God in that moment. Israel couldn't go where they were supposed to go because they couldn't get past their leadership. You got to be hooked up with the right people. Hit your neighbor and say, get hooked up. Look at your other neighbor. I don't know why they're their other choice. Don't tell them why, but say, get hooked up. It's all right. We'll talk about it later. So here's the thing, though. you got to get hooked up with the right leadership and the right people because Israel couldn't go anywhere. If you read, they were stuck. They had all this success with the army, but guess what? Nothing happened. Why? Because the leadership was so bad. Who you allow to speak into your life and who's over you determines where you're going to go. I didn't say this 830. This is for somebody right here. See, the thing is, though, that the number eight just isn't a number. It's a person. John Gray wrote a book called I Am Number Eight. And it, I feel like he wrote that book just for me. And he answered so many questions I had about God. And, it, it, and it's crazy. He doesn't even know who I am. But in this book, he breaks down what the number eight means. And, you know, it means new beginning. But if you're a number eight as a person, you're undervalued, overlooked, made fun of, people don't respect you. You may be too young or too old. And people just think, well, that's an excuse. But the thing is, though, that... They look at insignificant, God looks at success. They look at, well, that's all he's got right there, but God says, I'm getting ready to build on what that is right there. How you get a building is you have a strong foundation. That's why you go from 70 to 1,200 in 10 years. So, and, and I'm saying this because when you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, he will lift you up at the appointed time because here's something cool. I remember the people that used to bully me. I can name them right now. I'm not going to, but I can remember physically, verbally, emotionally, mentally. But it's crazy. The same people that did that now call me for prayer. And it's not because I'm great. It's just I serve a great God. And no seasons where I said, God, why? God was saying, if you just wait, I feel it. If you just wait right here, if you would just stop trying to push, if you would stop trying to strive, if you could just be faithful in what I've given you, if you could understand the foundation is all I have for you right now, and if you just get that foundation right and seal those cracks, I promise you when I build, no man can tear down what I've put together. The gates of hell shall not prevail. Woo! See, the same people that overlook David were going to be the same people that eventually have to serve him. Because the people that end up rejecting you are the same people that will come to you and say, um, Sir, how can we help you today? Because uh, we need some help. I promise you. And, it's, and I'm not saying it because it's arrogance. I'm saying it because I was blown away the first time I got a phone call from somebody. I saw his name pop up, and I was like, what do you want? <laughs> and it was crazy. And I, like, it, I was half tempted to like, hit the lock button twice and be like, I didn't answer. Like, I don't know who you are. But something inside of me told me to answer the phone call. So when I did, I found out that there was a lot going on. And the reason why I was bullied is because he was going through a lot of stuff and he was too scared to open up about it. Ain't it crazy how God works? Time heals, but you gotta allow God to heal. Psalm 23, five says, the Lord prepares the table for me in the presence of my enemies. And, and David wrote that. And I think he wrote it for a couple of reasons, meaning, you know, about his brothers and different stuff like that. But, you know, as I was preparing for this, I feel like there's so many people called, and this is kind of confirms it because I feel the Lord leading me this way. There are so many people called in this room. You've got a business idea. You've got a dream. You've got an aspiration. You've got something God's laid on your heart. And it's crazy because you said it to one or two people and they shut you down. I don't know who I'm talking to right now. I feel it. God's been speaking to you for years, telling you to do this, go here, 
Start this business. Talk to this person. You've been working for 15 years. Talk to them. It's all right. They won't hurt you. But you're scared, but you don't understand something. Because when you talk to people, and you got to be careful who you tell about what your dream is because people will shoot it down in a heartbeat. And the thing is, the reason why you, seem, you got rejection was because that was God's way of prompting you to work harder for the promotion. Rejection shouldn't be the stop. It should be the beginning. If I, had, if I stopped when I got somebody to reject me, I don't even think I would have went through the ordination process. Nobody knows this. I didn't even share this at the 830 service. I just have tempted not to go through the ordination process. I was at a weird place. Me and God just fought all the time, wrestled like Jacob, just back and forth. And I said, God, I don't understand this. And for years, I've had people prophesy over me. The same thing. And when I was at camp, um, a gentleman came and prayed over me and confirmed, it's actually crazy, um, that some things are getting ready to happen. And it's stuff I've prayed for for 10 years. And it's coming to pass. And God's just making a way. Because the thing is that what seemed like rejection was God's preparation for your promotion. And you shouldn't, you shouldn't stop with rejection. It hurts. I know it hurts. And I know you're aggravated. And I know you want to flesh out. And I know you want to be like, you don't know who God is. They don't. That's why they're rejecting you. Because if they knew God on the level you did, they'd say, how can I help you get to this place? That's why we have such a great church. 16 years old, I was sitting in an office with Pastor Josh, Pastor Chad, and Pastor Jeremy was here. And they looked at me and said, how can we make you better? I'm 16 years old, people, and I'm getting that question asked to me. All because the faithfulness got me to where I was supposed to be. Because when you serve in private, God will elevate you in public. That's a good place to clap if you want to clap. Now, this is going to be tough for some people to hear, but I'm going to say it. And this is a key point right here. Just because you've been anointed doesn't mean you're appointed yet. Everybody wants the oil immediately, and they want the nation right after, but they don't want the process. They want the promotion. They don't want the process. They want a Savior. They don't want a Lord. Woo, man, it's a quiet church. So the problem is, in the process of everything going on with David, he had a choice. And it truly was a problem because he could be selfish and been a jerk to everybody. Rubbed it in his face, went up to his brothers like, see this oil? I'm young, I'm handsome, and I got the nation. Bow down to greatness. <laughs> I told 830 service, I said, look at him and just be like, hashtag watch his feet. Like, honestly, like, get down, get your tail, come here. But he didn't, you know what he did? He went right back to the field. I don't think y'all caught that. He went right back to the field after getting anointed as king. Because there's 20 chapters, which is around 15 years, between David's anointing and the appointing. And guess what happened in those 15 years? Serving. Serving's not a church's way to get you to help with something. It's getting you to be like Christ. If you could get over yourself and what you deal with and serve somebody else, you may get broken free. I don't know where that came from. If you could get over the fact you don't want to serve at one service or this or another, I promise you God will bless you. But when you get beside yourself and you serve somebody else and you act like you're Jesus and you have this spirit of David upon you where you say, I'm anointed and I got something special, but I'm going to serve you because I know God's got something going on in your life. And that moment, I promise you, you take your hand off of the situation you allow God to move. I promise you God will move in a way you've never seen before. Woo, my God. 
So in the, uh, 1 Samuel 16, God places a tormenting spirit on Saul. The only thing to take it away was worship. David was then summoned by Saul to go to, uh, to, go to the inner court to play worship, to, to release this tormenting spirit. So verse 21 tells us, so David went to Saul and began serving him. Saul loved David very much, and David became his armor bearer. Now here's, here's the important part of this verse right here. David went to Saul and began serving him. David was serving the very man he would replace. David never said once, I did not see this in scripture where David said once, I'm the next king, move. You know what he did? He got a spear thrown at him by this joker. And you know what he did? He didn't even kill him. He didn't even fight him. He ran away and prayed. And then guess what happened? God took care of it. Because when you take your hands off the equation, that allows God to be able to move and manipulate and everything else. Because sometimes God will put you in a spot where you have to submit before you can be elevated. Because there's so many people that are like, I just want this promotion. I was promised it six months ago, and I was told I was going to get this and this, and I don't understand it. And this guy's a jerk. He's just always mean to me, or, or she's so rude. But the thing is, though, you're David, which means they're Saul. And guess what? In order to be David, you have to have a Saul. you got to have somebody put down something so you can work with it. It's all right. We're getting there. Y'all were a little excited. We'll come back. But this is just a little bit of a background of David. Figure out who he is. So now we're going to go to 1 Samuel 17. And this is the infamous battle of David versus Goliath. So we'll pick up in verse 14 of chapter 17. And it says, David was the youngest son. David's three oldest brothers stayed in Saul's army. But David went back and forth so he could help his father with sheep in Bethlehem. Now David was serving in the inner circle, being Saul's armor bearer, while going home and serving again. This just confirms my point of you need to serve. If you're not serving... Start. If you serve once a month, start serving more. Get beside yourself. I promise you. You know what's happening here? A miracle. Guess what's going to happen? You're going to be blessed because you're a part of this, but you're going to get a double portion if you start putting your hands on something. Woo! I don't know where that came from. Everybody say it's the small things. David sent by his father to the battlefield to deliver some grain and 10 loaves of bread. And 10 in the Bible represents completeness of order and responsibility. David was about to complete something that no one had the ability to do. Because when you read the whole army was lined up, Saul was in this va- or excuse me, Goliath was in this valley. Saul was in his tent, and the whole army's just hanging out. 15, 16, 17 year old David's just kind of walking up, like, what is this joker doing? Why is he screaming? So then we read in uh, 25 through 31 uh, where they find out that the man who, who ends up killing Goliath will get you know, no taxes and great wealth and end up getting Saul's daughter and all this stuff. And it was just a, it was a, a pretty good reward for killing a guy, I guess, in that time. So David's asking all these guys. He keeps going to different guys like, hey, what happens if I kill this guy? What happens if I kill this guy? What happens if I kill this guy? And you'll find out the moment you're about to be appointed because of your anointing, you'll start asking a lot of questions on how I can get my hands in in this. And that does not mean be nosy. That means you wait for your opportunity. Because being nosy is you stooping in while somebody else is doing something. Stepping in is when somebody else is standing behind you. So I got this. Y'all don't want to hear this this morning. So here we go. Saul gets word. David wants to fight Goliath. So David, or excuse me, Saul brings him back. Saul's like, Man, what are you wanting to do? David says, I, I want to take care of this guy. Verse 
34 says of chapter 17, but David persisted. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. He said, when a lion or bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. That's some hood stuff right there. I don't know what translation that is, but it's, it's there. Um, I've done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine as well. Saul finally consented, all right, go ahead, and may the Lord be with you. Now, Saul and David were very close at this point, because if you remember, he was his armor bearer. So he had a good enough relationship where he could be like, hey, I'm taking care of this chump. Now, scholars believe he was seven foot tall, ten foot tall. Either way, he was a big guy, pretty huge. And... We, I kind of skipped over this, but Eliab was really mad that David was asking what's going on. And he said, why don't you just go back to watching your sheep? Because you should always expect opposition right before you get anointed. Or excuse me, appointed. You've already been anointed, so you're already facing opposition, but you face more opposition right before you step into something. Somebody say step up. It's about time somebody steps up today. So Saul tries to put the armor on David. Now, David's carried this armor for a long time, which is significant because he's carrying the armor of the very man he's getting ready to replace. That's significant. And that's service right there. Now, in the middle of this, Saul says, here, take my armor. If you're going to fight him, you need something. Dude, you're five foot tall, like 110 pounds. Like, you really don't need to, like, you need something. David goes and puts on the armor and takes it off and says, I can't wear this. I'm not used to it. Don't let someone else put their armor on you. You got your own set of armor, and if God calls you to a specific battle, he'll supply you with that armor. I see more people trying to tell them, well, when I was in this situation, that's what I did. Well, that's awesome. Thanks for your advice. But this is different. And there's there's a difference between helping out and trying to put your armor on somebody. Because the Bible says to put on the full armor of God, right? Some of y'all are like, I don't even know that said that. Yeah, there's armor in the Bible. So, with that being said, you, you've got to put your own armor on because someday you're going to have to go to battle. I've gone to battle for my family so much. I've seen God do things you wouldn't even believe. If you saw this 15 years ago, I would have called you a liar and I probably wouldn't be right here. But because of the faithfulness, because I had my own armor and somebody else helped me put on my own armor, not put their armor on, which is, allows you to step into something because you get comfortable. You can't be uncomfortable in a way and try to do what God's called you to do. This is natural for all of us that have the, have the privilege to speak up there. This is natural for us. We get to share this, and it's truly a privilege. But if you can defeat a lion and the bear when no one is around, then you can defeat a, a giant with the whole nation watching. And David knew how to protect his flock. See, it's funny. David protected his flock from the bear and the lion Flock being animals, but guess what? He also protected his flock as a nation. See, because when you get ready to step into something, it's, it's kind of like this. There's a lot of people who've been waiting on a promotion, and you have all the qualifications for it, or you may not have the qualifications for it. Either way, you've wanted this position, and for some reason, they haven't given it to you. And you're kind of, I don't understand why attitude, you're kind of like getting a little aggravated and everything else, but the thing is, How faithful have you been? Because God will not increase until there's stability. And David could not become the armor bearer unless he defeated the lion and the bear, right? 
So he defeated the lion and the bear, became the armor bearer, became the worship leader for Saul. And then he goes and kills Goliath. Now in this, all, this whole thing, the one thing that's saying is consistent is faithfulness. Everybody say faithfulness. Faithfulness will get you into rooms that you don't even deserve to be in. But the thing is, though, you got to keep yourself humble. And I mean humble before the Lord. Because humbleness is the way to get elevated. And I'm not talking like being on TV, like a rapper or something, just like, I want to thank God. And all your tracks have the E explicit next to it. I'm not talking that. I'm talking like humble is in. You get increased and you're like, thank you, God. I'm going to stay faithful. Because the quickest way to get yourself demoted is arrogance. That's what happened to Saul. Saul got too big for his britches, and you know what happened? God said, psych, you're the people's choice, but I'm getting my choice in David because David was a man after God's own heart. God has seen your heart. God's seen you cry. God's seen you struggle. God's seen you to the point where you've been ready to quit. You don't even know. You think God doesn't even know what I'm going through. He's had his hand on you the whole time. But the thing is, though, you couldn't get over the fact that you weren't getting what you wanted. But God is saying, I cannot increase until there's stability. I couldn't give David kingship until he knew how to take care of some things. He submitted when the man tried to kill him. And he stayed faithful. So why can't you just do a mundane task Monday through Friday? You're not getting killed. I hope not. But God cannot entrust the nation to David unless he can be faithful with a flock in the field. Because when you serve diligently in private, God will elevate you in public. It's a quiet church. And the thing I love most about the battle of, you know, David versus Goliath is that it took a man who looked like a boy to do the very thing the boys who looked like men couldn't do. I'm going to let that sink in for a minute. It took a man who looked like a boy to do the very thing that the boys who looked like men couldn't do. One 15-year-old kid took care of the problem that 3,000 men couldn't take care of. And here's the beauty of it. You have a calling to fill a position that no one else has. Some people in here, you've been waiting on something. You say, I don't understand. It may not be at your current job. It may not be in the current situation. But the thing is, though, if you stay faithful, you're going to step up to the plate and you can, it's perfectly shaped for you. It's a custom fit calling. God's not gonna put something too big or too small on you. It's custom fit. And as you grow, it grows. Oh, I feel like preaching right there. So many people want the promotion. And I use promotion, you guys thinking work. It's not just promotion. I'm talking about your level of faith. The worst thing you can do as a Christian is stay stagnant. David played in the field, played his heart, worshiped, went in front of a king, worshiped. Guess what happened when David was king? He went running through the whole field naked. Well, he had underwear on, but still, he was naked, running around, dancing, and he was worshiping. That, we're cutting that out. Um, but the thing that stayed consistent was worship. Worship is a weapon. Worship is a weapon. We get the privilege to worship. This is so hard to preach right now after I said that. Uh, let's pull some scripture here. Luke 16, 10 tells us, Jesus tells us, if you're faithful in the little things, you will be faithful in the large ones. See, and it's so true though. Guys, if we couldn't be faithful with 60 people, we couldn't be faithful with 1,200 people. If you can't be faithful with Monday through Friday, why do you think God's gonna give you a ten, fifteen thousand $15,000 raise? With more work. Because you see, because everybody thinks, well, this looks easy. Do you understand what goes into it? 
We make Sundays look easy, but y'all don't see Monday through Thursday. We work ourselves to death sometimes to make sure everybody has the best experience possible. So you're comfortable in your chairs. And it's worth every single second of it because people got saved yesterday. Uh, Last week, people got saved this morning. People are going to get saved today. People are going to get saved next week. When we get this new building, people are going to get saved. Everybody say faithfulness. Faithfulness is the key, and it's all about the small things. So I get ready to close. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up here. I've had a lot of fun today, guys, but I want you to understand something. Small beginnings equal big finishes. But the whole process is getting you prepared because you cannot let the process of preparation keep you from your promotion. Remember what I said at the beginning, everybody wants to, to see the finish line and we're like, oh, we had a great start and we go to run and we're like, actually, I don't want to run today. Can I just get to the finish line and get the medal? We have a joke, Pastor Chad runs and Pastor Josh and I always ask him, like, he's like, I ran and we're like, who chased you? Like, why are you running? <laughs> But the thing is, though, and I'm going to use his, him as an illustration. He ran a 5K or something like that. And that man trained and trained and trained and trained and worked for 12 hours and then trained and then came in another day and worked 10 hours. And, by the way, he's a father, a pastor of a decently sized church and uh, has four kids to take care of. He's not busy at all. But if he can do that, why can't people just get out of their way and just do something for God for once? Sundays are the best and worst days. Best meaning we all get together and worship God, but at the moment people leave this church, they're like, I don't even know who Jesus is. You can't live with the devil Monday through Saturday and expect God to bless you on Sunday. And the one thing I love all about David is the fact that God used somebody that looked like nothing to turn him into the, one of the greatest kings ever. And I feel like that's why I love him so much because you get a kid, 12 years old, got a calling on his life. You fill him with the Holy Ghost. And that's all he needed. Because I never needed a platform. All I needed was his presence. All I needed was the Holy Ghost to lead me and to fill my mouth when I needed it and to give me wisdom and discernment like never before. Because here's the thing though, the presence is what gave me the ability to have a platform. And now that I have a platform, I get to preach about his presence. If everybody could just stand with me. Can you give God just a hand clap of praise this morning for his word? With every head bowed and eye closed, I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask the most important question of the day. As I'm preaching this, God may have been tugging at your heart. The Holy Spirit may have been just really messing with you. And you say, I may have known God at one point or I have no idea who he is, but if you known him and you said, I came back from him, or you feel like if he came back today and you wouldn't go home with him. Every head bowed and every eye is closed. It's just you and Jesus in this moment. If that's you, do you mind just raising your hand? Thank you for that hand. Thank you for that hand. You feel like you don't know Jesus and you need to get back to the place of where you are. Thank you for that hand. Let me say this, everybody's head's still bowed. Let me say this real quick. The success and the foundation was God for David's success. That's how you become great. You start with a great God. I'm not gonna prolong for too much longer. If that's you, I'm not gonna embarrass you. I'm gonna call you out. 
All right, everybody, you can open your eyes and lift up your heads. I wanna ask something here uh, before we pray. And I really felt led to do this because it was never done for, uh, I wish it would have been. And it was just, I never told anybody. But if that's you, if you're number eight, you're overlooked, God's given you a dream so big, so magnificent. If you went to go say something, people would say, you're crazy. If that's you, do you mind just raising your hand and boldness and saying, God's given me something. God's given me a word. God's given me a vision, a dream. I got something shut up in my bones and one day I'm gonna share it. Awesome. Well, what we're gonna do is we're gonna pray with these people. Y'all gonna repeat after me and then we're gonna open up these altars, all right? Everybody repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I come to you and I ask you forgive me for all my sins. You come into my heart, make me new. I make you my Lord and my Savior. Cleanse me and save me. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's give everybody a hand clap of praise this morning. Thank you, Jesus. I'm gonna ask the prayer team and staff to come up for prayer at this time. We're gonna open up these altars. If you guys need prayer for anything, we would love to stay in agreement with you. I hope you guys have a great 4th of July week. We love you guys. We're so thankful for you. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Bethesda Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our website, BethesdaChurch.tv. Thank you for joining us and have a great day.